My job today is a privilege. God has asked me to give you hope this morning. To lift your eyes. To see beyond. To think bigger, to think broader, to think eternal. My privilege this morning is to give you the gift of hope. To fight it for you. So that when you leave this place, you feel stronger, you feel better, you feel more hopeful than you did when you came in. That's my aim this morning, that's my privilege today, and I am going to need your prayers to do that, that I may give you what I believe comes from God. And it's always a pressure when you feel like you have such a burning word in your heart. I'm even aware of time this morning because I have so many notes, but I'm going to try and go fast. I don't want to keep you forever unless you want to stay for three hours. Okay, I'll do it. I'll try and do it in 45 minutes. Okay, 35, all right, chill, okay. And uh, it's a pressure because when you feel like you have something in your heart, you burn with it, and you're just desperate that you will not get in the way. Oh, that's my prayer. Lord Jesus, help me not get in the way this morning. And I pray for you this morning, guys. Would you not get in the way this morning? Don't get in the way of yourself. I pray it. Don't get in the way of yourself. May we not get in the way, I pray this morning, Jesus. May we receive your hope today. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Amen, Jesus. I want to give you hope. Hope is an annoying thing because hope comes when you are in suffering. In fact, you can't have hope without the suffering. Romans 5 tells us that. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance character. Character produces hope. Suffering produces hope. In fact, hope is desiring things that you long for. So therefore, you must be without those things in order to have hope. So hope sounds like a great thing to have, but tell me the time that you actually need it is not the best time of your life. But I want you to have it. I want you to believe in it. I want you to hold on to it with absolutely everything that you have. I want you to have a hope in the name of Jesus Christ above all things. And I want you to hold on to it with absolutely every muscle and every fiber. I do not want you to be hanging on two branches. I do not want you to be having a hand in the world just in case God doesn't show up. No, I want you to burn the plow just like Elisha did and say, I am all God. I am all God. I give everything I have to God. I put my whole self into it. Hope requires you to dive in fully. Have you ever been on holiday before and there's the swimming pool moment when you have to get in the cold water? Have you ever been there? How many of you are a slow walker in? Put your hands up for me. You're the, ooh, ooh, ooh. How many of you, I know Paul Emberton is definitely going to be this one. How many of you are a jump straight in? Yeah, I knew it. Jack, I could have guessed. Lena, go on, Lena. Impressed, mate. Um, I don't really know what I am, if I'm honest. I don't remember. I'm definitely a slow one, aren't I? I don't even know why I'm pretending. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. But hope, we need an attitude like Jack Newman or Paul Emberton. You need to jump in. 
you need to fully let go of every other thing. And so when you make that jump, you remember when you make that jump and that's it now? You have that split second before you are freezing cold for 30 seconds. That's what it's like with hope. You have to dive absolutely 100% into the hope in God. That's how faith works. If you trust God, you've got to trust God. You can't half trust God. You can't half trust your chair. It wouldn't work. When you sit down, you fully trust that your chair will carry you. You don't half sit on it just in case. When have you ever done that before? In fact, did you even check the seat before you sat down on it today? You trusted it, 100%. You didn't question it, didn't check it, you just did it. And you put your full weight on, not half. With God, it's the same. You have to put everything into him. You can't say, I give half of myself to God, and I'll put half in my money, just in case. I'm not going to put half in God and then half in my career, just in case. I'm not going to put half in God and half in my influence and popularity, just in case. You have to give it all. I'll be real with you how this is working in my life right now. I'm praying for a guy called, actually, I won't say his name. I'm praying for a man right now who has been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I've been to visit him numerous amounts of times in the past month, probably every other day or called him at least or text him to speak words of faith into him and when I went to his house the first time it was they thought this was coming to an end he had an infection and it was causing um, severe problems they thought this might be it and the wife was getting herself prepared I went there and I felt like I'm not having it you ever felt like that sometimes she's not having it anymore I'm sick of cancer it's not winning anymore and I don't know about you, but I don't believe God gives cancer. I don't believe it's a punishment form. I don't believe it's a testing form. I believe it is from the enemy. And I believe if something's from the enemy, it doesn't need looking after or comforting. It needs rebuking. So I said to him, in the name of Jesus, I command this infection to go. I command all these pains to go. And his infection went straight down. They t- sorry, his temperature went straight down is what I meant. And then he, over the next day, he was completely fine. Woke up the next day, he was showering and Still, for, still signs of cancer in his body, but I've been going to see him. We've been praying for it to break through, break through, break through. But I've been on a journey of faith in myself where I fully decided he is not going to die of cancer. Fully. I, he, it's just not going to happen. It's not, there's no what if. It's just not going to happen. That's what it has to be like with God. I have to dive 100% into it. And if God wants to take him, God can take him any day he likes, but he's not taking cancer to heaven with him. So if he wants to die, that's fine. If God wants to take him, that's fine. But cancer's not going. He's going to be healed of cancer before he goes. And you have to get to a place in God where your full hope and trust is in him. It's not I'll pray and then we'll see what else happens. It's I'm going to pray and that's it. In fact, when I've gone back to see him, I do pray from every time. But I say to him before I pray, I've said, I've already prayed it. I'm not praying twice. I've already prayed it. I've commanded it. It must do as it's told. When I say to that cancer, be gone and wither, it has to do as it's told. If it takes some time, that's fine. I'm growing in my authority. But it it has to go. There is no other option. My hope has to be fully in God. It is so hard to do though. It's so hard to say, God, I'm going to give you absolutely every bit of my hope. I'm going to fully, because what if? That's the question that plagues faith. That's the question that stops your hope holding on to God. What if? 
What if he doesn't get healed? What if his family are then angry at me? What happens if I've built false hope? Can I tell you right now, the Bible tells us in Romans 5, that hope in God never puts us to shame. There's another thing to put hope in though. Never. Hope in God never puts you to shame. It is so challenging. It is so hard because I'm sure I'm sitting here with a room full of people who have faced disappointment before. And you're probably thinking, yeah, Liam, that's nice to say, but I want to see it in my life. We have to learn. We have to grow. We have to become more like Jesus. We have to give more of ourselves over to him in order to see this fruition in our life. I get it. It's hard. What if? What if the family are angry at me? And I've had to go on a journey myself and I've just had to say, you know what, I'm going to command it and I'm going to believe it. Not, a li- not 98%, 100%. It's not going to happen. But it's so hard to do. But I want to give you some of that hope this morning. Is that okay? I sense there's a, there's a weight in the room this morning and I was tempted whether we should break it and just have loads of joy, but I felt like maybe the Lord is with us today and maybe there is a heaviness for a reason because sometimes a heaviness is gonna break the burden off you. Sometimes you need something strong to remove a blockage, as Chris was saying. Thank you for the word, by the way. We appreciate you being brave and just going for it. I wanna convince you of hope this morning. Are you ready for that? You can smile, it's okay. It will, it will help you through the journey if you smile, I promise. I want to read 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 10, which we've been reading throughout this whole series. But I'm going to read in the Passion Translation today. Why? Because we've read it in the other translations and I just wanted to read this to you. And plus, it says the word hope in it and I thought that helps. You ready? We are convinced that even these bodies we live in are folded up like death, like, uh, sorry, let me start again. We are convinced that even if these bodies we live in are folded up at death like tents, we still have a God-built home that no human hands have built, which will last forever in the heavenly realm. We inwardly sigh as we live in these physical tents, longing to put on a new body for our life in heaven, in the belief that once we put it on, on our new clothing, we won't find ourselves naked or ashamed or guilty. So while we live in this tent, we groan under its burden. Not because we want to die, but because we want these new bodies. We crave for all that is mortal to be swallowed up by eternal life. And this is no empty hope. This is no empty hope. Would you please preach with me this morning? Turn to somebody next to you say, no Empty hope. Come on, turn to somebody else. Say no. Empty hope. I say over you, this is no empty. You are not crazy for putting your trust in Jesus. You are not crazy to put everything you have upon him. You are not crazy to give every penny you have to him. You are not crazy to put every ounce of faith you have in him. This is not an empty hope. Are you, do you believe me this morning? Church, do you believe me? 
I do not want anyone else to lie to you. If it is one of my jobs as the father of this house is to protect you from lies, I will not let the enemy lie to you. This is not an empty hope. You will not be put to shame. For God himself is the one who has prepared for us this wonderful destiny. And to confirm this promise, he has given us the Holy Spirit like an engagement ring as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is a reminder that this thing is no joke. That this thing is not empty hope. That's why we're always full of courage. Pray you be full of courage. Even while we're at home in the body, we're homesick to be with our master. For we live by faith. I live by faith, not by sight. Even though the test result says this, I believe something different. I'm not irrational. I'm not irresponsible. I'm not going mad. I am trusting in the promises of God. It is hard, but I want to encourage you to lift your hope today. We live with a joyful confidence, yet at the same time, we take delight in the thought of leaving our bodies behind to be at home with the Lord. So whether we live or die, we make it our life's passion to live our lives pleasing to him. For one day, we will all be openly revealed before Christ on his throne so that each of us will be duly recompensed for our actions done in life, whether good or worthless. Guys, there is an eternity before you. Have hope. Have hope that even if you suffer on this earth, even have hope that even if the, it doesn't result in what you'd hope it would result in on this earth, please remember, Paul is trying to remind us, this is not just about your 80, 90, however many years you get on this earth. He is talking about a hope that lasts for eternity. That's a big deal. I want you to have hope for eternity. For eternity to be where your hope is found. Why am I trying to tell you this morning? Well, how am I doing for time? I'm okay. Because I'm barely through the intro, so it's okay. Okay, let's talk about this. 2 Corinthians. It's written by a guy named Paul. And Paul was a man of God that went around starting churches and trying to build churches successfully so that they might follow God. And he writes this to the the church in Corinth, because let's, if I'm honest with you, things weren't going well there. And what had happened is Paul, you can read about it. You, you want a bit of a history lesson? Yes, you do. Of course I do. In Acts 18, you can read it for yourself. Paul spends around 18 months in that town building this church. In fact, they reckon that by the time he left, there was only around 50 to 55 people in the church. So 18 months building for that what we might consider not very much fruit, but Paul was sticking it out. In fact, while Paul was there, it was really hard for him. He had to work making tents. So he would work during the day and then he'd preach during the night trying to build this church. And then he left after those 18 months. And while he left, he got a report from somebody else saying, hey, have you heard about that church in Corinth? He said, yeah, yeah, I started it. And they're like, uh, it's, uh, it's going really bad. Um, they're all just kind of sleeping with each other and they're really not following what you told them to follow. So Paul thinks this is a disaster. I must write a letter to them. Writes a letter to them saying, guys, what on earth are you doing? Follow the ways of the Lord. That's what he's saying. He said, guys, behave yourself, please. And then they turn around and say, we don't like Paul anymore. Isn't it funny? They don't like him as soon as they get challenged by him. And they turn around and say, we don't want, to, we don't want anything to do with Paul anymore. 
In fact, in 2 Corinthians, which is a book this is from, this is fascinating. I promise you, you're all like this. They consider Paul not really good enough anymore. In fact, what happens, I find this so amazing. They actually say to Paul, Paul, can you give us some reference, please, for how good you are as, a, as an apostle? That's like, let me put this in context. That's like me and Emily going on holiday one time, coming back, and you've all decided that actually now, now that even though they've started the church, even though it's flourishing and going well, we now need them to have some qualifications to do it. Now we need a reference from somebody else to say that they're good enough to lead our church. Until that time, they are not allowed to lead us. In fact, they just didn't like Paul so much that they started to say, Paul, Paul, listen, mate, you're kind of not a good preacher. That's one of the reasons they didn't like Paul. The church in Corinth didn't like Paul because he, they didn't think he was a good enough, eloquent, charismatic preacher. In fact, the Bible does kind of hint to us that Paul was quite a boring preacher. In fact, one time he was preaching and someone fell asleep while he was preaching. Do not do that here. And while they, while they fell asleep, they fell out of a window. That was a bad day. In fact, not only was he not charismatic, not only was he too challenging, too in your, too in your face, in fact, they didn't like him because he looked poor. They said, Paul, listen, mate, there's other, there's other preachers coming, and these other preachers, they dress so well, they look really good, they got money. Why would, we, come on, man, we're gonna li- we want that kind of life. We're going to listen to them because that's the kind of life I want. You're, frankly, Paul, you look a bit homeless. We'd have known that Paul would have been bald. We reckon that he had a nice big bushy beard. If you can imagine him sitting on the corner making tents and going, where's your apostle? Uh... He's that guy over there. Yeah, that's, that's the one that started the church. They said, Paul, you don't look right. You don't talk right. You're too challenging. You're not loving enough. Paul, there's so many issues with you. I, I, we just are going to ignore you. And Paul obviously is distressed by this. And then he has to go and have what they call in the Bible the painful visit. So he goes to this church after they've said all these things. And he's like, hey, guys, let's, let's talk about this. And then Paul then his final thing, his final hope to try and win them over, which does work, by the way, is to say, I'm going to write you this letter. And in this letter, he talks about heaven. Why would he talk about heaven? In the middle of this conflict, in the middle of these people not liking him, in the middle of this, this church split and church division and just church politics. Just nice to know they still happen in the book of Acts, right? Yeah. He says this letter and he says, guys, listen, you've, you've put your hope in the wrong place. You've put your hope in the wrong place. You've put your hope in the things of the world. You're starting to trust people that look right, but yet show no power. You're starting to put your trust in wealth and fame and charisma and passion rather than looking at the fruit of the person. And he says, guys, I'm suffering, but it's because I'm suffering for the Lord. Guys, do not put your hope on this earth. He says, guys, put your hope in heaven. You need to zoom out a bit. You need to get a new perspective. You're thinking about your life too minuscule. You're thinking about your life too tiny. You're not putting your hope in heaven. He's saying, guys, you're trusting in things of this. Are you, are you getting me? Is this making some sense? Are you, okay, there's not enough of you saying yes to that. Let, let me get some help. Jack, can I borrow you? Have you got another friend? Jamie? Okay, I've got a rope here. I want you to tie it to that speaker and tie it to that speaker for me. This one. Shouldn't have picked Jamie. (laughs) 
my friends, you need to stop looking at your life here on earth as the hope. You need to stop trying to build things here on earth. You need to stop trying to find hope here on earth. What you need is you need to have hope in eternity. Can we make it so the red thing is as much in the middle as you can? Thanks, Jamie. Just hold it. Just hold it, boys. You got it. You just hold it. Hold it nice and tight. Fantastic. My friends, if I could in any way, shape, or form measure eternity, I'm trying to measure eternity here this morning, so give me some grace in the analogy, please. This rope could represent eternity, and the human history can fit on that red tape. Not you, human history. In fact, it's, it's, it's completely ridiculous for me to try and measure years in eternity. It just doesn't make any sense. It matters about your view. The further back you go, the smaller that red thing looks. My friends, you and I are spending so much time worrying about this bit. When there is all of this to come and there's been all of this before. We spend our time worrying. Can I, can I, can I work hard enough? So I can retire and then be happy when I've done that. Is that that's what I'm going to work towards to try and get somewhere. My friends, work for this. Why, don't, don't waste your, am I happy right now? It doesn't matter if you're going to be happy for all of this. Right now, suffer. Suffer for the kingdom. Suffer for God because this, unfortunately, is the only bit where people get to make their mind up about Jesus. So you and I need to say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to live for this by sacrificing this. I'm going to say, I'm only here for this amount of years that I have, however many that is, I don't even know. But that does not matter in the long run because my hope is not in here. My hope is in this. My hope is in what's to come. That's what Paul is saying. Corinthians, why are we arguing about this stuff? Why are we having these petty conversations about what I look like and what I wear? Why are you caring whether I make money in this way or that way? Why are you caring about how charismatic I am when I'm speaking? What matters is this. This is where you put your hope, my friend. Stop living for this tiny little bit, but live for this. I think this point deserves a round of applause, Liam. I think you're doing well. Thanks. No, no, no. Don't fake it. Don't fake it. Don't fake it. Don't give, me, don't give me a pity clap. It's a pity clap. It's fine. Paul's saying, will you change your perspective? My friends, you want to build your hope. If you want to get better hope, if you want to have hope in God, you want to trust fully in God, if you want to get there, put everything you have into this part. Live for heaven. Stop storing up treasures here on earth. Give them away. Give them away. What use is it going to be to you? Trust me, in heaven there's plenty of gold. It's what they line the streets with. You don't need to take any with you. I'm not saying be irresponsible. I'm not saying don't steward your money. You, you get that, right? You, you're smart enough to understand that. What I'm saying to you is it's better to just live for God and do the things God wants. I'm going to build my treasure for here, not for here. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> it's fine, just leave it, leave it, grab a seat. Guys, let me just tell you that Billy Graham, I'm sure, is not in heaven 
worrying about whether he's going to be remembered here on earth. He's not worried about who's going to play him in the next movie that I'm sure they're going to make about him. He's not worried whether they're going to sign up Hugh Jackman or not. Because now he's in heaven and he spent his life living for heaven. And he's now receiving the reward there. We spend too much time wor- worried about, am I going to be remembered here? Am I gonna, have I done something significant? Have I made an impact that the world will remember me for? All these kind of things. Trust me, when you cross that bridge and you enter into eternity, these things will wipe away. They'll wash away. And the things that will remain are the things that you did for the Lord. Have hope in heaven, my friends. Do you want hope? Do you want hope? Come on, do you want hope? I'll let you know, hope doesn't look heroic. I would like to think that hope is that bit where you walk into the room and go, I'm here, cancer be gone, done. I wish it was. And sometimes I read books about revival and it seems as though it was like that. But I know in my spirit and I know by reading the Bible, I know that that's not how it goes. I know that hope does not look heroic. Hope is hard. In fact, hope looks like Paul. Looks like being poor and downtrodden, oppressed and sick. It's like being beaten by the people around you. It's, 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 it can sometimes look like these places of suffering. How many of you know hope doesn't look heroic? Hope looks like tears. Are you getting my point? Hope looks like tears. In fact, okay, let, let me explain it to you another way. There's a book in the Bible called Esther. And there is a great example of hope in Esther, which I found fascinating. In the book of Esther, uh, there's some characters, and Esther is now the queen of the nation, and it's, a, it's a not a believing in God. It's not Israel. She's in a foreign land, and she's the queen of this foreign land, and she has an uncle called Mordecai. And Mordecai demonstrates something fascinating. Are you with me on this? Don't lose it because you think, stay with me. Trust me, this is going to help you, I promise. Mordecai finds out that the king has a plot to kill all the Jews in the land, which is the nation of Israel, his nation. This is, he finds out there's going to be a genocide of his people. That's a bad day. Now, that's probably the most extreme suffering I think you could probably know is coming. And he gets so distraught, he gets so upset, that it, the Bible tells us he rips his clothes off out of sh- distress. I've always wanted to do that one point in my life, do you know, just be so... Ah. Maybe next time you're feeling just overwhelmed by something, just... And then the Bible says he then puts on a a sack cloth. Just imagine like a potato sack. He just cuts some holes in it and sticks it on himself. And then the Bible tells us that he then grabs a bunch of ashes and he just rubs it all over himself. And if you've seen any of this, they remake it sometimes in the films. When people cover themselves in ashes, it is a weird thing to observe. It's not just like a little... It's they, sh- they cover themselves in ashes. And then not only that does Mordecai do that. Mordecai then goes around the street. He goes around the city weeping and wailing for his people. And he's walking around in a sackcloth covered in ashes, weeping and wailing. Would you think that guy looks like hope? But I want to tell you, that's what you want to be. You want to be Mordecai. You do not want to be Esther. You do not want to be King Xerxes. You do not want to be in anyone else's position. You do not want to be in earthly success. You want to be Mordecai. Here's why you want to be Mordecai. Because Mordecai, when questioned, said, what on earth are you doing? You stupid. 
Esther's comes to him like, mate, what are you doing? He's like, they're going to kill our people. And he says, you've got to do something about it, Esther. And she says, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I'm too afraid. I'm just too, he'll kill me. The king will kill me if I speak to him without permission. He will kill me. And then Mordecai says something that is mind-blowing to me. And I hope it helps you today. He looks at Esther and he says, Esther, either by you or by some other way, we are going to get relief and deliverance from this. Did you, did you get what I just said? Did you get what I just said? The guy dressed in sackcloth, in ashes, weeping and wailing in the middle of the city, that guy, he's the one who has the faith. He's the one who has hope. He's the one who, even though he's weeping and wailing, he's saying, you know what? But God will find a way, Esther, either by you or by somebody else. And I pray that you would just be on the train. Otherwise, you're going to miss it. Esther, God will find a way. I think this is an interesting point for you to pick up because hope can express pain. And hope very often does not look heroic. Hope looks like sometimes when you're washing the dishes, but there's tears running down your face and you don't know what you're doing, but you still say, God, I believe for a better day. It's that time when you wake up in the middle of the night and your pain, there's so much pain in your body, but you say, God, I still believe for healing to come. It's that moment when you look at your bank account and it's low and everyone thinks that you're surely not the person with faith, but you turn around and say, don't you worry, watch this bank account. I will prosper in the name of Jesus. That is hope. Hope is not when everything's going well. Hope is when things are a struggle and you stand up and say, but I still believe for a better day to come. I think that was a good point. I was hoping someone would stand at that point, but you know, it's fine. I thought you'd get so excited. I guess we're still in England. It's okay. I want you to have hope. Hope comes in those desperate moments, in that time when you have the argument with your spouse and you think, was that it? Can, I, can we go on any longer? And you say, no, 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 I still believe in this. I still believe in what God has said. I still believe in what he's spoken. That when we go out into Europe and we're trying and things go wrong and, and people miss their flights or it costs us too much money or things don't go well in Europe, we still go. But we know, we know God called us to it. So even though things do not look right, I stand certain of what I hope for. Sure of what I hope for. I stand for it. Hope doesn't look heroic. And lastly, do you want to have hope? Do you want to build hope? Are you ready to throw some ashes on and dress in a potato sack? Are you ready? No, it's fine. We don't have to do that bit. But maybe, maybe, maybe we don't have to do that bit, but maybe at church, maybe there should be some more tears. Maybe at church there should be less masks. I'm not saying you have to come weeping and wailing, coming in and going, I am distressed, I am distraught. But maybe when you're worshiping and you know you're holding on to that blockage, you just got to say, God, I, you know what, I'm just going to let it out. I'm going to let it out so that I can find my hope again. I'm going to let it out. Maybe that's what it would look like a bit more at this church if we did that. But I know, I know, okay, I'm speaking, yeah, you don't want to do that. We're in England, right? We've got to hide everything. We've got to sweep it under the rug. Is, is that the type of people we're going to be? Or are we going to be people that say, you know what, I'm struggling. I'm going to come to God and I'm going to let it out and I'm going to get filled with hope once again. Because if you hold on to it, trust me, I've learned lots of things about emotions. Emotions don't go away. They, they just line up. They line up. If we do not express that pain 
If we do not do things to let the pain out of us, it will just queue up until one day you can't handle it anymore and something in your body will break. People sometimes get physically sick because they're not processing emotional pain. It's very real. Lots of studies on it. So maybe at church, maybe we should come a bit more like Mordecai. Not doubting in faith, not questioning God's ability, but willing to express our pain. I don't know, baby, that's the kind of church I want to be. I want to be able to come here and cry about things I'm struggling with. I want to be able to come and just shout and just get it out. I won't ever rip the clothes, I promise. But Okay, how are your energy levels? Are you running out? I've only got one more point, so you're doing well. Last thing I want to tell you, if you want hope, your hope has to be hooked. You've got to hook it on to something. I want to tell you today that I want you to hook your hope on Jesus Christ. Jesus is a great example for us because in this little red bit of life, we don't just have to hold on to these empty promises or these empty ideas. There is something very real for us to put our foot on and to stand upon. Do you get what I'm saying? How many of you have ever struggled with the idea of heaven, believing it, I mean? Ever struggled with it? Or you're too holy to, you're like, Liam, how dare you? You're a pastor. How can you struggle with that idea? Guys, I'll be honest with you. The only thing that really I struggle with about God is these ideas of angels and demons and heaven and hell and eternity. I'm like, I can't even fathom that. It just sounds too beyond me. That's the only time I start to struggle and start to question, is this whole, you know, is this thing really what I think it is? Have you ever been there? Come on, don't just, don't leave me hanging, all right? Come on. In fact, I had a friend once who said to me, Liam, he was really ups- he was really concerned about me because he thought I was in a cult. He said, Liam, I really need to talk to you. He says, man, you're in a cult. And I was like, what do you mean? He says, this church thing, that's a cult. He says, they tell you to do extreme things and they expect you to act in a certain way and they expect you to attend and be there and all those kind of things. And he's like, mate, I think you're in a cult. And I said, mate, I'm not in a cult. I said, this thing is real. And he's, he's like, Liam, this is not real. I've never believed that it's real. And I said to him, I said, my friend, what would it take for you to believe in God? What would it take for you to truly have hope in him? What would it take for you to let go of all these things and just say, I'm going to put my hope and I'm going to hook it into you? What would it really take? And he said to me, Liam, God would have to come down to earth and wave at me. And I just went to him, who do you think Jesus was? That was the whole point. That was the whole point. He, he came down to say, guys, this isn't a joke. I, I am real. I'm here, right? I came to flesh because you're struggling to believe me without flesh. It is more blessed for those who can believe without seeing, but I'm still here because I know you need it. He says, I've come down to be real for you so that you can physically see me and hold on to me. Whenever I start to doubt God, whenever I start to doubt his power, doubt his ability, doubt eternity, doubt heaven and demons, and whenever I doubt it, I remind myself and I go back to the place of Jesus Christ, a very real person, so real. So physical, it's, it's, it gives us a place for us to, to almost give us a boost to look beyond, to look broader, to look bigger. He gives us something physical to hook ourselves onto. Guys, I struggle with it. I struggle with just fully believing in God. I want to be honest with you. But whenever I do, please join me in going back to the place of Jesus.
put your hope in heaven. I want you to know that hope, when you do that, will not look heroic. It may look weird to the people around you. It may look like distress. It may look like suffering. And then I want you to get your hope hooked on to Jesus. Take a moment, close your eyes. Just take a breath. Where are you struggling to believe in God? Where are you struggling to say, you know what? God, I just don't believe you in that way. Where is your faith lacking? What has got you so overwhelmed that you you just don't think there's a way out? What's causing you to weep and wail like Mordecai? What's causing you to be in distress? Maybe for you today, you you just struggle to believe in the idea of God. I want you today to spiritually lift your head to put your shoulders back, to gaze ahead of you, to not be slumped over, not be overwhelmed, but spiritually lift yourself up and say, in one way, shape or form, God will bring relief and deliverance from this. He will deliver me from this pain, deliver me from this grief, deliver me from this confusion. He'll deliver me from this conflict. One way, shape or form. But the way that I receive it is putting my full hope and full trust in Jesus. I'm not going to go in slowly. I'm not just going to put my foot in. I'm going to completely run and jump off the side and land in the pool of God and say, God, you now have everything. I risk it. I take the leap of faith no matter what it costs. This is no empty hope. Do not let the world tell you otherwise. Put your hope in the Lord. For hope in the Lord will not put us to shame. Bless you, God. I sing holy. Thank you, God.